Well, thank you for joining another episode of the Grim and Bloody podcast. Uh, tonight we have a classic thriller uh, to share with you. It is called Island of the Burning Damned, 1967, starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, as well as Janet Merrill. Um, but joining me tonight, Al Omega from Creature Features. How are you doing, Al? Always good to be here. And Joe Flynn, Create TV. How's it hanging, Joe? Ah, hanging well, ladies and gentlemen. So tonight we wanted to do a retrospective and um, I challenged everyone to you know, send me what you got. And um, Al had already done a uh, film on Creature Features called Island of the Burning Dams. And um, what I was expecting, I was expecting some cheesy horror thriller. Uh, but what I got was an actual pretty legit uh, sci-fi film. Um, obviously didn't have any CGI, um, but I think, now here's the hard part. When I was watching the movie and um, in sci-fi, when you're dealing with aliens, um, I've always found there's a couple types. There's the type that slaps you over the head, like War of the Worlds, right? They, they, they're right there, front and center. I think you also mentioned it now. Um, alien shows up, you start running, right? There's aliens that show up and you start running and that's the movie for 90 minutes, right? Like the Tom Cruise movie, like, yeah. boom, they're here, we're gone. Um, there's the aliens that settle in to the night and start screwing with your head. And then they pop out and you start running, like the thing. Then there's other kind of aliens where you see them, but you don't see them. I'm thinking of um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where maybe you don't get a full view of them. Maybe you do. Sometimes maybe you don't at all in the movie. Um, I've been listening to a lot of uh, horror podcasts, and um, there was one that, uh, one particular story where you don't see the creatures at all, and they take the form of humans and they basically reveal themselves through how they interact with other people. Um, I like that kind of uh, alien too. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm beginning to like aliens that don't reveal themselves at all. Um, when I was watching this film, I was thinking, well, that would be great to see them. But as the movie progressed, I kind of gave up hope that we would actually see the manifestation of the alien, but it did show it at the end although it kind of looked more like a, a, a an overgrowth croissant. Um, the killer Blamon. <laughs> yes. I, I was getting used to seeing how they reacted towards the aliens, like Christopher Lee and Cushing. Um, I thought that was going to be the movie and it was going to have this dramatic, you know, um, maybe instead of the island where this was all taking place, you would open it up, you know, John Carpenter style and threaten the mainland, right? We would start seeing other places. Well, that didn't happen, which was fine because uh, I th there was way more focus on on characters, which was also nice. Um, although sometimes the script felt like it was a little lacking. I mean, um, anyone who watches Island of the Burning Damned on Creature Features um, will know, Al, that you found the script um, kind of did uh, Christopher Lee a disservice and I agree wow. on that one oh, a yeah. little bit yeah um, he, he's so much of a better actor yeah he did feel a little muted in this film um, but I thought everyone else was really good they were convincing um, if you said you know what I can't afford a creature 
but we're going to make sure that you can act it out as good as you can and we're going to make sure that the audience knows that the temperature is steadily boiling to a point where you know uh coke bottles are exploding cars are, are blowing out i thought that was highly effective um for a movie that was filmed in 1967 it looked good except for the youtube pixelation which just crushed the blacks um i thought the 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 camera work was excellent and it it started building tension a little bit slower than i'm used to uh but i thought by the time we got to the one hour and 30 mark um i was already invested in i wanted to see you know who was going to live and um by then christopher lee basically had figured out the aliens and you know well how we're going to defeat them at this point um, which also follows the classic you know, you know alien trope they're here we have a problem we're getting beaten back we have to figure it out now let's go beat them um but still it, it was it was a fun movie uh, i liked the the um the subplots um it seemed to fit and, and then it didn't then again did we really need it to no because it was still a cool movie to sit down and watch this was a really good saturday afternoon movie or possibly even a friday night movie um but it was worth the sit i didn't feel like i was wasting my time um i wasn't checking my phone i was pretty invested plus the actors on the screen were easy to engage with what do you guys think i'll let you go first oh okay uh to me yes as uh, i was saying earlier it's been a little while since i've seen this film I totally, I remember it was Christopher Lee for sure, and wasn't for sure about Peter Cushing, but until you brought it up, thanks, Anthony. Yeah, he had a yes, minor role. It wasn't as big as Jenna Merrill right. or, yeah. It, yeah, it, it, it was, was still cool like, to see Star Wars. I, I thought he was in there, you know. And yeah, and then the, the other, one of the other actors kind of looked or resembled kind of like Rod Tyler from the Time oh, Machine, yeah. kind of. And I was thinking, is that not Tiger, <laughs> you know? But yeah, this movie, you know, set on the island and it's like, oh man, it's getting super hot. And you're just going like, uh, are we gonna burn to crisps? Or is some miracle gonna save us? In the form of Christopher Lee, of course. You know, which seeing Christopher Lee playing a hero, you know, which he kind of does occasionally, but most people remember him for playing bad guys or or Dracula, you know. It, it was nice to see him in a different role, you know. And I really enjoyed the movie. And, you know, yeah, it is one of those alien movies where you're like, when are the aliens going to pop up? When, right. what, you know, you know. But you get so invested with the characters, you kind of just go like, okay, and see if they're going to survive or not. But I really enjoyed the movie. And, you know, it definitely is sort of like similar to like one of those, you know, Hammer movies, but I believe it's not Hammer. It is I'm not correct. a Hammer movie. You are correct. So, but no, go it ahead, feel... Oh, go ahead, Al. Well, yeah, that's the thing when you know, we start to talk about this. It's the Hammer movie that isn't a Hammer movie. This was made, I think, by one of the spinoffs, as I recall, and uh, they used the Hammer actors and and so forth. So it, it really feels like Hammer, but it's not. 
it's not as good as a hammer movie but it's close so we were happy with it anyway we are and i was just like looking up some of the trivia for this mound which i will give you a little bit of like the original script was ditched at the last minute as being unworkable Wow. As well. And then the uh, last minute. Yeah, the last how you, how minute. How do you get to the last minute and then ditch the script saying this is unworkable? How how does the production get to that point? Yes, and this is also uh, you know, according to Christopher Lee, or we should call him Sir Christopher Lee, yeah. this movie was dealing with an uncommon heat wave. It was <laughs> shot in the middle of winter. The actors and actresses not only had to be covered with glycerine to create the illusion of heavy sweat, but also suffering from wearing very light clothing in freezing season. It was filmed during the winter time. And remember, to make that glycerine really sweaty, they, they would mist them down occasionally with regular yes. water. So they were freezing their asses off for this movie. Oh, yeah, and I agree with you. And then one last tidbit here. Uh, because of the strong sexual implications of the French yes. title, some of the distribution added several graphic sex scenes in order to exploit the feature in the French adult film circuit. Really? Yeah, I couldn't find that copy. <laughs> yeah. No, none of the original cast and crew are credited in that version, apart from Jane, Jane Mello and Sarah Lawson, who are both dubbed by, you know, you know additional scenes. So, I will say there was heavy Jane Merrow doing whatever she wanted, and I thought those parts were a little bit of a distraction. Um, I understand why they were there. She was seducing this guy, and there was, you know, the three-way, you know, I'm standing here with your wife. She doesn't know about us. Okay, we get it, right? It, it was it was heavy-handed. Um, but sometimes that's how a movie sells, is with the, the lead uh, female. Uh, I think you're probably going to be seeing less and less and less of that right now after the Me Too movement. But back then, it's, you especially look at the cover, what you see, you know, uh, Night of the Big Heat, you see Christopher Lee, blood red. Then you see Jane Merrill, you know, and uh, an outfit that's partially torn. That's what it was, right? Um, right. Now this movie is built as a horror mystery sci-fi. And up until the, the the big twist at the end where they find out how these aliens um, got a hold of them. And we can mention it, it was through uh, radio waves, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, we've been sending radio waves out in the space. We thought they were harmless. They responded. And it was even mentioned that maybe they're radio waves themselves. For me, that's when the horror and the big thinking started because I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. I like knowing, you know, we're dealing with an issue here, but it has the potential to be catastrophic. You know, I, I like those apocalyptic tone movies. They had something there that could have been huge. But they kept it small and they didn't even, I don't even think they mentioned it after that. Because once they figured it out, they said, well, we'll just turn off the lights because they're looking for heat sources. So they veered away from the radio waves. Well, they mentioned, oh my God, they could take away 
all the radio waves that could cook the atmosphere. But that's it, you know? And maybe it was the execution, maybe it was how quickly they veered off, um, because none of the characters reacted any differently after the uh, revelation. Um, Now, I always like referring back to the thing, because it had a very similar kind of revelation in which um, the doctor was on his computer and he was figuring out how many of the uh, um, crew um, could be infected right now. And it came back, I believe, with like 67%, 70%, right? And he did, he did further calculations to find out how long it would take for this species to infect and take over the world, right? All right. That changed him completely, right? Uh, he, he goes bonkers, starts shooting up the place, destroying everything. He he's, begins what they complete you know, is shutting down the facility, make sure this creature can't get out. Um, we didn't see that reaction in, in this film once the big reveal happened that this is something that could take over the world. That got me excited for a moment when they said this is something that can cook the, the, the planet and we got to go stop them. But they really didn't do anything, you know, with that. So that was my own little disappointment on the movie. Um, maybe other people would find other disappointments earlier. Uh, but I I'd hung with it up until that point. And after that, I'm like, well, let's just see how it finishes. Right. And, and that's the thing. And as I was saying in the trivia about how originally the, at the last minute, the script was unworkable. And maybe because of the people who were brought in to finish or do the story, kind of went like, eh, how are we going to end this thing? Oh, we don't know. But here, here's the script. Read it, you know. And, you know, I get that, too, because it would be like, oh, man, you you blew a great, you know, plot, you know, to the story, and you didn't, you know, reveal anything after. No, the ending did not make sense whatsoever. Um, You'd built up the radio waves. You built up, they spent so much time, you know, with with, uh, characters going crazy, holding their their ears, ah, right? Like, you're expecting something Obviously, it's something sonic, yes. right? It's something I was almost thinking like a, a dog whistle, you know, maybe inverted, right? Where instead of, you know, we can hear what they hear. And it's just building up to the point where our heads explode. Um, but we didn't need to see the alien. I thought the alien was, it almost felt like, as you mentioned, it was probably part of the script. It very it looked like it, watching it, that it was, it was done so fast. Here's the creature. It's raining. We're saved. Run credits, right? Yeah, totally didn't fit the film, and the film had this slow buildup, huge reveal, and then from there it, it just falls off a cliff. I mean, it's still good, but it, it could have been, my opinion, so much better had they, I don't know, maintained that current momentum, and maybe they had a, a different idea of how to end it. Maybe they they showed it to somebody and like, hell no, right? <laughs> you know, I, I have to say that. You're completely wrong. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, I see this from a very different viewpoint. Uh, I see this from the ideal of, you know, uh, these are people that live on an island. This is a time when uh, people fixed things themselves. They took care of the problem. Uh, uh, let's face it, this is a time where 
a man can be happily married and the wife will expect him to reach out occasionally to uh, other women, you know, and, and have to uh, keep him interested in that sort of thing. So uh, these were people that were going to solve the problem. Uh, even if they could have reached out or did reach out to the military, the government, whatever you want to say, these are people that would have still said, we're going to go investigate and try to fix this problem. And it was a very different time. Uh, the, the whole bit with Jane Marrow there, uh, you know, the guys in today's story, he would be kind of a jerk. But back then, that wasn't uh, considered that odd of a thing. Remember, it wasn't that yeah. long ago. People were expected to drunk drive, that they, they smoked and drank on the planes. You know, yeah, it was different. Time. Smoke in your face while talking to you. <laughs> it was a very yeah. different time. So uh, the, the buildup is here to show that these people are resilient. They're not going to give up. They're not going to uh, fall down and, and die for the, the monster. They're going to fight. They're going to solve the problem. Well, yeah, I, that... I agree with that. I, and yeah. that's what the whole movie built up towards. Um, I, what I was mentioning yeah, the is the ending with... kind of just, it, it felt no. too easy, you know? Well, there you go. We we have a movie with a a script that was made at the last minute, and I I do agree with you there. How do you do that? You know, uh, how do you, how do you pitch a movie and then get there and say no, we're going to change everything now? Uh, but this is a movie that obviously I think what happened was there was say an issue with the money, the bane of all producers' life. Uh, something happened; they didn't have enough money, so there was no place for special effects per se uh so this had to be done through the acting uh fortunately they had some good actors in it but uh this all had to be done through them uh <sighs> emoting and so forth especially with, with the heat and so forth so yeah there wasn't any money left for a really interesting monster per se and in a lot of ways this is less a monster movie a sci-fi movie and more movie about a drama more of a drama for these these people, so right. and I, I do like that it's the old school. The monsters are here. Uh, we have a problem. We have to go experiment now and find out what what do they want and how are we going to get rid of them sort of things. Uh, and the whole thing with the supersonics or subsonics and so forth, most people really didn't know what that stuff was back then. And science fiction movies have always been very loose with the science and the facts, so. When you remember that and the time frame and who this was made for, I think this stands up as a better movie. It's still not the best movie. It, oh yeah, it's, no, it's still, no I agree with that on that. And oh, you agree that it's here, not the best. Here, movie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was—I uh, I have to say—when I first watched this, Jane Merrill very much shocked me uh, because I, I wasn't expecting this much sex appeal to be in that movie. No, I wasn't. Here she is. Doing this. Somebody uh, referred to her as a cut rate uh, Carolyn Monroe. So, which is not a terrible thing to say, per se. I, uh, if I were a woman actor of the time, I wish I could be compared with Carolyn Monroe. And certainly they probably couldn't afford her, but then it would have made that much more of a hammer movie. Right. And, and yeah, and here's a nice little note about two of the actors in this 
Patrick Allen and Sarah Lawson, who played the married couple in the film, they were also real husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and then of course, when I was looking at the trailer on YouTube earlier, and it goes like after the trailer kind of ended, it was going like, hey, the island of the burning dam and Godzilla's revenge. So I guess it was playing as a double feature with Godzilla's revenge when it came out. Well, you certainly so, don't want to outshine, outshine Godzilla with your movie. True. <laughs> uh, and then this is like one of the final thing with the trivia. When this film was released in the U.S., uh -huh. The title was changed to more dramatic sounding Island of the Burning Dam. Then in the U.S. television broadcast standard, which were very strict, uh, they released it to the U.S. television. The title was changed again to the Island of the Burning Doom. <laughs> so, so, hey, we have so many uh, titles for this film that it should get an Oscar. It still says Night of the Big Heat when you watch it. There you Exploding go. out of the CCTV. That's right. Now, while I was talking about radio waves, something else crossed my mind. Um, I had watched Contact. You guys remember Contact, the Jodie Foster, yes. McConaughey movie? Yeah. That starts out with um, us sending out radio waves, and the aliens replied back with the first one. You know, that went in space. It was the first TV cast of Hitler. Yes, you know. I, I do agree with you, Anthony, that there's, I love it when a movie comes in and says, uh, yes, this is, the aliens are attacking any planet with water or something like that. They're like, oh no, we got lots of water. They're going to come here first. Yeah, I, I love movies that we triggered it, you know, but we did something. You can even say in Star Trek, when they uh, was first contact, when they go, they achieve warp speed, it attracts oh, yeah. the, uh, the Vulcans, you know. Um, so it's like we brought this upon ourselves because we were messing with things that we don't fully understand. Well, that's how you find out about stuff. You go out and you do stuff. Of course, they use the same complaint in Stargate, so. <laughs> I didn't want to go too sci-fi. Um, there's scary elements. Do we miss anything else from here? Because we have a horror audience. And if they're interested in yeah. Island of the Burning Damned, I thought the well, scariest part was Peter Cushing's glaring gaze as he's in his photography room. Don't open the door. Never open the door unless Peter, uh, no. unless he opens it for you. Christopher Lee is a man you don't want to walk in on unexpectedly. So, Neither one. Yeah. You know. Well, actually, Peter uh, no. Cushing would probably welcome you in. He's probably just having tea. <laughs> so. Yeah. Christopher Lee might yes. be hitting someone. That's right. <laughs> Hello. Don't mind the head over here. Uh, just me, uh, me cleaning up a mess. So that's it. Yeah, uh, you never know. Yeah, I'm a geek. I was waiting for Peter Cushing to say, you may fire when ready. And then I realized he wouldn't say that for another 10 years, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now, but... for horror, you have to remember, these are people. They're on an island. They have very limited resources. They have limited places to reach out. Like I said, these are very independent people because they have to be. There isn't a place 
there isn't a way for them to get help quickly. Everything has to come from the mainland. Now, without a radio, they are isolated. No one's and they do mention that. They sent out word. They didn't expect a response. So uh, you had to be a, a, a hearty sort to go live on an island like that. And so, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. On an island. Where, hey, maybe the nearest mainland is like uh, 20 miles or whatever miles away it is, you know? Well, this and is the Atlantic Ocean. It doesn't have to be very far for the Atlantic Ocean to right. say, oh, you're crossing it today. No, you know, the it, Atlantic Ocean is know, Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, never like maybe, let's say, once a week or whatever, you get a ship to bring, you know, supplies if you need it and whatnot, or take people to the mainland to get whatever. But yeah. It's just one of those movies that people will say, hey, you know, I would say watch it for anyone who is starting to watch horror films or sci-fi, whatever. Watch it and enjoy it because of the characters played by Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, Jane Mel- Marrow, and everyone else, you know. Yeah, you know, it's, it is still a good movie. It is a product of its time, though. So just remember that when you see it. You know, um, but it's still a good movie. Now, anyone who's interested in, in horror in the 60s, um, and for some reason, I, I always sit back and enjoy the horror of the 60s. It just has this kind of surrealism, at least for me, because I wasn't born for another... Oh, jeez almost 18 years okay. <laughs> right. hey, don't say it man I like seeing movies that were made way before me that were scary um, and some of them that would come up would be Night of the Living Dead so right after this was made 1968 Night of the Living Dead you had Rosemary's Baby so 68 was a good year for horror um, yes you can go on if you want to um, right. Psycho came out in 60 so even before this one you know, people were getting right. scared shitless. Um, I liked, I still need to watch The Mask of the Red Death. Oh my. Vincent Price. Yes. Hey, Saw trailers for that, and that looks interesting. Um, it, so, it this, that whole era, it, it felt very like CGI. Like, I was born when CGI was really coming around. Um, but watching movies back then where there just flat out wasn't. And they were nope. still able to create scares. This all, it, it harkens back to uh, our, my love of practical effects. You know, if you don't have a million dollar computer to, you know, create the scares, well, what are you going to do? You have a camera, you have actors, you have a set, right? You have uh, a pretty good composer. Um, you know, let's put the story and create some characters and put them in dangerous situations, right? Isn't that what horror really is? Um, so I like watching movies where they were stripped of, I don't want to stripped of anything because they still had, you know, big productions. Um, but they just didn't have that kind of, you know, um, easy out that movies today might have, right? Like, oh, don't worry about that. We can fix it in post, right? No, we can take that out or we can replace that with that, right? Um, they didn't have that then. You know, what you have is in front of the camera. You can fix some things like coloring, maybe. Um, but how much are you really going to fix in post in the, in the 60s, right? Um, 
not a whole lot. <laughs> you're going to splice the footage together. You're going to color grade it, but you're not, you know, digitally composing somebody or somewhere else. For it. That's just not no. happening. Well, I'll give you a fine example for a film that is from the 60s and it starred uh, from uh, Roger Corman. Uh, he did a movie called The Terror, which starred Jack Nicholson, which yep. was his first film. So if you want to see, you know, nice effects towards the end of the movie, which I will not spoil if you Anthony have not seen it uh I say watch I think I that. have when you said in the tariff I had Jack Nicholson's face in my head yes it, it's a but he was know, on the he it, was it, on the, the chair that this the Enterprise so it didn't fit <laughs> yeah well there you go he was you know playing but yeah it's you know for, for all those movies from made in the 60s and 70s and even before the 50s and 40s and 30s that didn't have CGI. You know, the makeup they were make, doing for any of those eras for those horror films were good, you know, yeah. Yeah. for their time. And now that the effects have grown to, you know, hey, look, we can do a CGI with fake blood here, which it's okay if you do it in a small amount, but, you know, but hey, don't look at me, man. I just love my horror films. I think Al just sent us a link. Mask of the Red Death, 1964. Is this our next show? <laughs> Could be. Okay. Hey, hey. At midnight. As I was uh, chatting about uh, with you guys earlier, I want to bring up again uh, Jane Marrow in this. Uh, when we yes. interviewed her, I didn't have uh, a background image in my head of Jane Marrow. And so we interviewed this, interviewed this lovely, uh, we'll say, middle-aged woman. And uh, she talks about a movie she had just done with one of her friends that was on uh, either Netflix or Amazon. I forget which. So, of course, I went and I watched it. and It was lovely. Uh, again, it was a very low budget production that did have a really great shooting location. And I recommend it if anyone wants to go watch that one. But so I watched it. I think what? The one. What, what? The that uh, I probably missed the title you mentioned now. Ah, uh, you know, it, it's uh, blanking here for, for a moment because, of course, I have no memory for names. But give me half a second here. And ooh, The Haunting of Margum Castle. Oh. Came out last year. So uh, I think that's on either Amazon. I think probably Amazon. The Haunting of Margum Castle. And it's worth a good watch. It's a nice uh, ghost story. So I'm used to seeing her as this, uh, in my mind, as this nice middle-aged lady. And then we watch her in the Island of the Burning Damned. And it's like, whoa. And <laughs> it's a, a bit of a shock. Running around with the gear hanging off and being trampy and so forth. But that's the joy of being an actress. You can actually be different characters when you want to be. Very so that true. was very much a shock for me. As, I, as I've, I've said, you know, I work on movie productions and I'll work on uh, one local production and there'll be an actress who is playing the the good 
and uh, very straight-laced mom. And in the next movie, she'll be some hard-boiled prostitute. And it's just shocking to me because I'm used to chatting with her off off on the side. Uh, and I I tend to think of people the way I foresee them. So I see her, I still see her as you know, the nice straight-laced mom. And then to see her in this other role is jarring to say the least. And I had the same experience with watching with Jane Merrow. She did a great job of it. In fact, somebody referred to her as the cut of uh, the low cost version of Carolyn Monroe. And I thought she was convincing. I thought she's very convincing. And, and you know, I, I, I could see Carolyn Monroe doing that role. They probably couldn't afford her. Would have made it more of a Hammer movie. Uh, but right. if I was an actress, if I were Jane Merrow, I, I wouldn't mind being compared to Carolyn Monroe. Both very attractive women of their time. So, and they're both out there still doing stuff. Yes, they uh, matter are. Of fact, uh, Carol Monroe just did, uh, what was it, Fuzzy Little Critters, or something like that. Yeah. Which has bad CGI that just so it gets said. Oh, God. Horrible. You know, it is like, hey, you know. Uh, but but yeah. so much money. Uh, uh, yeah, no, and, and I agree with Al, you know, it's like, hey, there's nothing, you know, to be like, hey, if I got, you know, if she got compared to that person, hey, it should be a compliment, not, you know, anything to be taken, you know, back by. Well, it depends on how it's said, but yes, you yeah. know, uh, these, these people are, uh, you know, actors hate to be, or I'll share a little of myself. Uh, my uncle was producer on Broadway for many, many years. Lovely man. Got me into theater. And uh, because of him, I got to go backstage and meet a lot of people like Vincent Price. And I, I was speaking to him one day, and I told him I had a dream of him last night. That he was, uh, he was dying, and in, in the dream he is aging in front of us, and we are saying goodbye to him. And I told him, you know, as a, as a director and producer, he would understand that you're never supposed to confuse an actor with a different actor. But I told him in my dream, I had him cast as a young version. He was Sean Connery. And as he got older, he became Vincent Price. So at least I had him cast well. So if you're going to mistake somebody, if you're going to compare somebody to another actor, make sure it's a good one. I will never get compared to either one of those gentlemen, as much as I might like to. I'll say that uh, right. when I was watching this, Alan, on your show, um, I took a peek at the comments, and this had 20,000 views. And you yeah. put it out, what, two months ago? Congratulations. Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the comments was, I thought Christopher Lee was Nicolas Cage for a minute there. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> hey. Leave for no, you know. Okay, Christopher Lee, and well, you know, I I can see that though because it's a an odd treatment for him. It's an odd um, uh, role the way he handles it. So I can I can see that because uh, Nicholas Cage does strange things. <laughs> He'd be very happy to be compared to uh, Christopher Lee. I don't think the other way around, though. Christopher Lee is Christopher Lee. Right. That's like me watching um, Ten Commandments. Is it Russell Crowe? 
No? Yes, that's it. <laughs> it's so yeah, far off. You You're so far off. It's not even funny. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, that'd be Charlton Heston, the guy yeah. from Planet of the Apes. Back when tough guys were tough because they were tough, not because they had muscles or knew karate or had guns. No, but I, I agree with the, the commenters. Um, and it seems like you're, you have a growing audience who are willing to watch some of your movies. So you got to step up your game. You got to you have to keep putting out good titles like this and then um, we'll come up on on uh, do more retrospectives on it because um, you know, you're stepping out of the, the the cheesy, you know, C schlock movies. You're, you're you're going into the Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing stuff. So we're just going to expect more of that, Al. Well, you know, I, I try. I, I work very hard to find movies that are that I am allowed to play. Not all of them are like uh, Frankenstein's Island or something, which is that was bad. They had a lot of good actors, <laughs> but it was bad. Um, right. Yeah, but uh, it is hard. Uh, I happen to know that uh, Carol Monroe. Well, we appreciate the effort. Fuzzy Little Creatures is available to me, and I will probably be showing that one fairly soon, too. So, there. Yes. No, yeah, you know, it's like my friends, God bless them, will always ask me occasionally when there's, let's say, a cheesy, bad horror film. And they go like, hey, why is this guy in this movie? And I go, it's a job. They, you know, they got, you know, it's like that happens at times. People go into a project thinking, oh, this is going to be a great movie. And then when it gets released, it's not that hot, you know? Well, that's what they thought about Star Wars. They would say, uh, you know, and they were first... Uh, seeing the hype uh, of you know, Luke Skywalker there would stick his head in the theater and they go, this big new movie is coming out and Star Wars later this summer. <laughs> He's like, oh, wow, it's <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah. And then, of course, it was, you know, the most popular movie ever made. Yeah, and, and it, it, you know, I, I, as I said, there are, you know, actors who, you know, they, they do their movie works, you know, and Hey, you know, you love them no matter, you know, how good or how bad the movie is. And you just go like, hey, you know, it's like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushion, you know, great combo of all those Hammer films. Yeah. And they can never do, you know, really wrong in their roles. It just sometimes, sometimes some of the scripts in their later movies weren't the best and you just go like oh you know but well that's one of the things you don't know about a movie is that uh, you don't know what it's going to be like and and how it's going to engage people and actors take a movie for a lot of different reasons speaking of Nicolas Cage he's rather broke so he takes whatever they throw at him so oh yes yeah but now, that might be case. why it takes a bad movie. You know. Yeah, for every for every ten horrible Nicolas Cage movies, there's Mandy, there's Wally's. Uh, what was that new one that was called? Wally yeah. World. Yeah, Winter Wonderland. Wally's which a friend of mine did uh, the uh, creatures. Yes, oh, and oh, cool. 
we've also done a show with Christopher Lee. Um, many would probably, you know, more modern uh, viewers, okay, AKA Young, my age, would probably remember Christopher Lee from Lord of the Rings. But he was also in The Howling, too. Your sister is a werewolf. Yes. And holy yes. God, that movie was a train wreck. And oh, the end, oh my goodness. Remember, Anthony, we have a video, what was it? Video of uh, the Sybil Danning thing. Oh, at the end, I'd... <laughs> I, I, I just flashed in my head. I'm sorry, people. I know we, uh, we had Philip Moran in... My goodness gracious, that end. I, I, I understand it was out of his hands. Um, yes. But, wow. I was watching that. And even when I was watching it, I'm like, holy Christ, what is this? <laughs> oh. Anyways, Sorry, these, these are gifted actors. Um, yeah. yeah. Watch any of the classics of them with the names that we have mentioned here. Um, you, you will be pleasantly surprised to see that these guys had the chops back then. When there was no special effects around make them look even better um they were making films better just by their presence um because that's who they were so uh we also got to give him credit look at christopher lee there again um he was in burke and hare which was i think yes. on also on amazon for a while and he's he's got a little cameo he plays one of the people they murder and having seen some shots this is you know literally like a year or two before he passes away he's not looking as good as sir Oman does without the makeup shall we say we're going to be gentle here um so when the, the two guys come into his room they're not sure whether or not he's dead i don't think they put any makeup on him i think that's just the way he looked by this point in his life bless his little heart for being willing to go out there and be this uh odd silly movie and be the guy that got killed yeah Definitely. To his credit, he fought back still, though. I like that about it. Yeah, and, and of course, he was also in the remake of Dark Shadows. Mm. Uh, a few years before that, I believe. You know. Oh, yeah, he, it, he worked his ass off. Right. He, you know, re regardless of what era of year, he, you know, was constantly working. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm channeling him here, and I, I have him saying in my ear, there are no small roles, only small actors. He had a video game kick for any early gamers out there in um, 2000s. Um, you could have, you found Christopher Lee's voice in some prominent titles. He was in EverQuest. Uh, he was in the James Bond uh, video game. Uh, of course, you know, that was the heyday of Lord of the Rings, so he was in a Lord of the Rings game. Um, yeah, he, he was he was a prominent guy. He, 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 there was a yeah. string of about I'd say three years where he he Christopher Lee he found a new audience. I would say. Yes, and you also had a uh, a band, or there was a band that would play have him as their main vocalist. Yes, about the War of the Roses. Yes. <laughs> he is somebody who went out and did a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Let's go ahead and put so a bow on this one. Sir. Okay. Well, oh, before we yes. go, uh, Al, what you got coming up on Creature Features? Oh, well, as I said, I may be having that, uh, dirty, uh, the fuzzy little buggers come up. Uh, 
we're looking at uh, maybe some Japanese movies coming up. Uh, oh, some uh, Godzilla type stuff. Really? Yes, we're going to have some giant monster movies uh, as a fan request, and of course, fans that uh, either know of a movie that's not copyrighted or or have a movie uh, of their own production that want to uh, share it are welcome to uh, contact me and we'll see what we can do. I had just done a movie called The Night Before Easter, which is an Easter slasher movie. Nice. And, and the uh, it was the, the guys, the whole team's first movie and the producer very nicely left a, a comment about how, you know, they really didn't know what they were doing and he thinks it looks terrible and he'd like to visit it in 10, 10 more years, come back to it. And I'm going, you know, um, you, you did a lot of good work here with subpar materials, be happy. This was not, it was not that bad a movie for your first time. There are a lot was of people who did you lots produce this? Still doing that. So, so yes, uh, I, I've got some uh, classics coming out and I've got some newer movies coming up very soon. Awesome. What about you? Uh, what about you, Joe? What do you got? Oh, Joe, uh, Al, uh, I'm somebody. <laughs> somebody. Uh, you. Uh, yeah, I'm Joe somebody. Joe somebody. That, that's somebody. also a bad movie. Well, that's right. No, um, I'm basically getting ready to do a couple new shows. We're going to be talking about some upcoming stuff uh, that's, like, even not going to surprise me. Like, you know, like the sequel of Don't Breathe, you know. They're making a uh, sequel? So many... Yes, they're making a sequel. Uh, it should be, you know, coming out probably within the next year, huh. you know. You know, it's also talking about, hey, you know, the next Conjuring film, which should be rolling out sometime in the new year. You know, it, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, of course, who knows? Maybe I'll talk about Nicolas Cage's next movie. I don't really know. Yeah, he's just gone to production. He'll be finished by next week. That's uh, Okay. Uh, so we got plenty of time to talk about it. Uh, yeah, no, but it's it just like, you know, everything that's going on in the world of horror, I will be talking about once I start reading about them. And hey, for any of you people listening to us, please go to our YouTube page and give us a like or, or give us a like on any of the platforms that you yeah. hear us on. Yeah, a thumbs up with any appendage you'd like to use. Go right ahead. Absolutely. Yes, and also, a big thing too, guys, if you're filmmakers who uh, are doing short films and you want to send them to either Anthony and, you know, maybe uh, in the next couple months or six months down the road, maybe when we do another film fest, you know, talk to Anthony. And... Uh, uh oh, I think Anthony just died. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and festival news. Um, yeah, we are in contact with the uh, theater in San Jose. Um, they are excited to reopen and, and has been, been following the pandemic. Um, theaters are slowly beginning to increase their capacity. Um, but as you, as um, any real festival goers for the big conventions have seen, um, Comic-Con has already bowed out for this year. Um, yeah, sadly. Because they just don't think that the capacity is going to be there for it, and I understand. Um, I'll be most how does that bode well for uh, horror conventions? We'll see. 
how does that bode well for um you know uh in-person festivals in october we'll see um yeah this year everyone thought you know by april everything would be hunky-dory we're gonna be back to normal but you know you see there's a little bit of an aftershock well we're getting there we're, we're definitely getting there we're um, slowly getting there but if we can't have a full capacity theater um i am already kind of laying the groundwork for what should be a really fun and cool virtual film festival i know i did one in sansar uh, 2019. I did it in conjunction with the festival in San Jose and built out theater. Um, the images have been taken down uh, after a slew of updates, but um, it was a completely, it was easy login. You sit down, you watch movies. Um, but we've also been tinkering. Uh, just past couple weeks, we did a live screening and um, we had, you know, uh, some real engagement with the, the audience. Um, all the filmmakers came aboard. So if the um, the idea of having you know 240 people in a theater is not viable yet. We're okay. We're patient because there's alternatives, um, and we're also um, looking at um, just in case you know the physical doesn't happen this year and we have to wait another year. Um, there's plenty of opportunity for virtual fest and Scream Fest has already kind of jumped on board with this. They they sell virtual tickets to exclusive screenings. Um, some festivals in areas where the you know pandemic wasn't as hard hit are able to open up, um, but out here you, you have to really you know balance the cost with should I pay full price for you know a, a theater of 240 people when only you know 150 will go, or should we look at alternative and build out something where we can have you know up to 400 people visit, you know something like um, uh, I'm just go on the top of my head um a virtual world where avatars can sit in a theater an actual theater that was built out and watch films that are only screening there and simultaneously you can watch them on a secure web browser right um another hole in the head a local theater uh, uh excuse me local film festival out here they were doing this so you know right now i would say festival coordinators they're thinking on their feet you know they're saying just in case this isn't a reality again what are my alternatives because i have a lot of submissions i have filmmakers at work that they want showcase um, but at the end of the day you just really want to put the films in front of the people who want to watch them that are willing to pay to watch them um, and you know that should always be the focus whether it's you know sitting in a theater or sitting in front of your, your living room watching in a movie streaming so um, you know all options are definitely on the table um, it's not like, oh, well, we need to into the theater this year. You know, it's, well, let's plan for it. You know, theater is opening up, but just in case, let's have a backup plan. So um, keep up news. That doesn't mean that that won't affect the bloody theater uh, or the podcast. Nope. We're still going to bring on guests. In fact, we're, we're lining up guests. We're still going to run shows. Oh. Um, you know, yep. I, I also have filmmakers saying, when is your next live screening? I want to get involved. Um, so mm -hmm. I think, you know, we have plenty more um or to uh share with everyone yeah and also um again i'm gonna be opening up on twitch uh trying to get some people who as you're saying that might play horror games and see if they might want to come on and share you know what it's like to be you know playing a horror game 
online for, you know, whatever number of people and stuff like that. So it'll be fun. There was also a report that said people might not be willing to even come out yet. There's a lot of um, hesitation. Um, sporting events recently, I don't want to go off top, too top topic here, but sporting events uh, is a really big deal out here in the Bay Area where we have a lot of big teams and they're opening up, they're making a huge deal of it. And, you know, the local baseball team, San Francisco Giants, they're noticing that not everyone is buying a ticket to go see them because just because you have reopened doesn't mean people are comfortable sitting that close to each other yet. So that's something else to consider. You know, uh, we've been uh, remote for you know, well over a year. Um, and during that time, nothing shut down, it evolved. I like to look at it that way, right? Um, more and more virtual fests happen. And just not just with us, Warner Brothers, right? Um, DC, you know, they have their own virtual world which was actually pretty cool. Um, so they, they will always figure out a way to get the fans engaged, you know, with their work. And um, I'm starting to see a lot more, you know, companies and programs come out saying, we can reach your audience that's sitting right there, you know. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I vote for somebody to come up oh. with like uh, cheap disposable spacesuits that people can go to the show like that. <laughs> and we'll just uh, throw lots of blood on them. Bring the intermissions oh, and so forth. <laughs> Bring your favorite hazmat. Like yes. Yeah. I have like a case of like, uh, Via like Rocky Horror Picture Show, but in basement suits. I love it. Well, you know, and, years ago, they were still doing uh, the, uh, the premier Screwhead Productions were still doing uh, the all-female version of Shevel Dead and had what they like to refer to as the Chum Bucketeers. <laughs> Make sure that it was a very wet performance. <laughs> well, that's all our time, guys. Um, thank you for tuning in. This was the Island of the Burning Damned retrospective. Uh, good film. Find it on Creature Features. It's on YouTube. And you can enjoy Alamega's commentary beginning, middle, and end. Um, so that's all I got, guys. Closing? Anything? Uh, well, well, you know, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but uh, we have our Roku channel is up, so you can go on Roku and, and see me 24-7 at the Original Creature Feature Show. Original Creature Features, I'm sorry. Awesome. On Roku. There you go. And me, hey, I hope everyone have a fantastic weekend, and uh, remember, keep watching those horror movies, because we want to know what scares you. That's Absolutely. Right. All right, have a good evening, everyone. All right, everyone, be good. Good night.